Welcome to the latest podcast from Aston Lark Employee Benefits. Good morning. Uh, my name is Samantha Mitchstry and I am director here at Aston Lark Employee Benefits. Um, this is our first podcast of uh, 2022 and today's focus is looking at uh, cervical cancer. Um, next week uh, on the 17th of January, Cervical Cancer Week starts. So we just wanted to uh, shine a light on um, what we should be thinking about both for employees and as individuals. Um, today, I'm lucky enough to be joined by Julian Brady, a clinical cervical cancer advisor from Check for Cancer. Hi, morning. Good morning, guys. And also John Burke, Director of Medical Policy at AXA PPP. Good morning, John. Hi, nice to meet you. Morning. You're also a, a GP for your sins, John? Yes, that's right. <laughs> Excellent. Okay, so as I say, uh, we're trying to raise awareness around cervical cancer and the screening. Um, uh, you know, I think for many of us, we understand that it is how important it is to be routinely checked. Um, it's not uh, a particularly uh, nice procedure to go through, but it, it can save your life. Um, and Julian, I just would be interested in your sort of general insight and information um, on what you're seeing. Okay, so my background uh, for being here today, I'm a gynaecologist for my sins uh, by trade. I've been a practicing gynaecologist for almost 25 years, and I spend the vast majority of my time, uh, my special area of expertise is actually cervical screening and uh, pre-cervical cancer. And I've uh, worked for Public Health England for a number of years. I was a National Quality Assurance Director for the Cervical Screening Programme, and uh, helped set up national policy and so my background is very much um, cervical screening. I think you know cervical cancer awareness week and cervical screening is always one of those things which is a very um, emotive uh, subject and you're quite right we're very lucky in this country to have an extremely robust um, cervical screening program which is there to help uh, ladies and to very much try and reduce the incidence, that's number of new cases of cervical cancer, but also re reduce the prevalence, that's the number of current cases of cervical cancer. So really it's just an opportunity um, to raise awareness. Uh, cervical cancer is, it, it, it's not a unique disease, but it's a very, um, we're very lucky in that we understand the disease history, we understand the etiology, and actually now with vaccination and screening, the WHO actually considers cervical cancer completely preventable. Okay, so we are in a situation where if ladies are able to afford themselves both vaccination and screening, they should not die from cervical cancer. I can't guarantee that those ladies wouldn't get cervical cancer, but we can just about guarantee that ladies uh, will not die from the um, disease. Very sadly, however, we still do see a significant number of cases of cervical cancer each year and also a significant number of deaths from cervical cancer. So just to put that into perspective, we see about 3,000 new cases diagnosed each year and very sadly about 1,000 ladies uh, lose their life due to uh, cervical cancer um, each year. Most women will be aware that there is a very robust screening system that starts um, at the age um, of 25 and happens every three years until the age of 50 and then five years after that. 
there's been some very significant changes recently, which I'm sure we'll go on to talk about um, um, later on today. But really the main difficulty with cervical screening at the moment is that we haven't noticed any significant improvement in our figures over about the past 20 years. So when the, when a, when, when the national call and recall system was introduced, it was very successful in reducing the number of cases of cervical cancer. But sadly, since about 1993, we haven't seen any significant changes. And that's quite simply because some ladies aren't able to attend for screening or feel they can attend for screening, or there are barriers to screening. So in, in the UK at the moment, on average, about 4 million women are invited for cervical screening each year. We think about a million of those women are actually late for their screening every round. And we think there's about a million women in the UK who are eligible, eligible for screening, who've never had the opportunity or never felt brave enough or comfortable enough to actually attend for screening. So our main barrier in the cervical screening programme <coughs> at present is actually women having the ability to access the test for whatever reasons those may well be. And I'm sure we'll go on to talk about that um, as we uh, go further into the podcast today. And do you have a feel for that, Julian, about what their barriers are? Because it can be, it can be quite an invasive procedure, of course. There's a number of, I mean, there's a number of, I mean, lots and lots of research has been done on this. When I worked at Public Health England, it was one of the main things which, which we looked at, which was trying to break down these barriers as to why women attend. And there are a number of different reasons, some of them very simple logistic reasons, and some of them, as you've touched on, you know, quite difficult things to, um, uh, to sort of deal with. The difficulty is most of the time you've actually got to go to somebody to have your smear test done. So any working woman, and by that I, I mean any woman who works, be they chairman of the Bank of England or be they a teaching assistant, you know, you, you are required to attend your doctors during office hours. This is difficult, especially in young working women, women of any age, there is a logistic problem in, in terms of trying to get your smear test done first of all. As you've highlighted, it is an invasive test simply because of where your cervix sits. It sits at the top of the vagina. The only way to get a view of the cervix is to open the vagina wide with a speculum. It, it, it is, it, it, it's invasive, it shouldn't be uncomfortable, but obviously a lot of women find it quite a difficult examination. So if you're having difficulties booking a difficult examination, you can see quite quickly why a lot of women it gets put onto the back burner, okay? Very sadly, though, then there will be those women who've had uh, difficult experiences, be that they've had a bad experience having a smear test in the past, or they've had to go and have their cervix investigated after an abnormal smear test. This may give them uh, difficulties. There's very good evidence that certain ladies from certain ethnic uh, minorities feel marginalized and don't want to attend for smear tests. And then you get into very small but very significant numbers. So, for instance, sadly, women who've been the subject of sexual violence, there's very, very good evidence that those women, and you can completely appreciate why, those women are feel very uncomfortable to attend for cervical screening if they have been the victim of sexual violence in the past. And also, sadly, we see that uh, women from the, uh, sorry if I forget the uh, LBGQT plus um, um, proportion of society, again, they feel marginalized in terms of attending for smear tests. And again, the evidence is very, very clear that, you know, um, women who sleep with women are just as at risk of cervical cancer as women who sleep with men. So, you know, there is, um, you know, there's a, there's a number of very simple reasons, but also a number of very 
complex reasons why ladies don't attend the first smear test. Yeah, absolutely. And we just, you know, with the recent press coming out about the potential change from the three to five years, just interested in both of you, really, your views on that. Okay, so so there's two questions which come around quite often here. So I'll, I'll sort of answer that one first of all. Actually, the evidence to change those screening intervals is actually very, very robust, actually. And, you know, the rest of the UK and probably the rest of the world will follow suit fairly soon, I would have thought. The reason that that evidence is so robust is because we now have a very successful vaccination programme and we've also changed to primary HPV testing, which is a much more sensitive way of testing ladies for potentially abnormal tests on their cervix. So if you, you know, using these two advantages, from a population screening point of view, which is all about benefit versus cost, it is actually very, very um, safe to actually it, to actually increase those screening intervals. Okay, the difficulty is the knee-jerk reaction to a woman thinks, "Oh my God, this is going to be unsafe because I'm leaving it for longer." Actually, the evidence doesn't suggest that because what we do know is that if you turn up for screening, you don't get, you know, you don't die from cervical cancer. The risk is the women, as we said, who don't come for screening. So actually the screening, if you avail yourself to the screening, be that whatever intervals we suggested is on a population point of view, you are likely to be fine and looked after very well. The difficulty is getting women for screening. And the point here is it's not the changing of the screening intervals. It's the it, 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 it's ladies having the availability to have the test, not the change in the screening intervals. Okay, excellent. And John, do you? Yes, you? I, I mean, yes. I mean, I would echo that absolutely. The the lengthening of screening uh, interval, and uh, I, I'm sure Julie might correct me if I'm wrong, but actually, the modelling suggests that the the screening interval could even be longer than five years, and five years is a relatively uh, conservative thing. Uh, and and I think. The, issue is obviously it getting done uh, um, there was a slight caveat to a five-year interval in the sense of it becomes ever more important to chase up those women that don't respond uh, uh, to their uh, uh, screening inv invitation because if it's every three years there's a, a natural kind of inbuilt laxity in the system there to tolerate a slightly later uh, smear but it just becomes ever more important to chase those those women uh, 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 that, that haven't responded so yes it's, it's the issue of getting people through the door. Yeah, I don't think it's a question of chasing those women. I think it's a, a it's the what are their barriers actually breaking down their Quite right. for screening. It's not a question of chasing them. You can send them letter after letter after letter. If they still <laughs> can't get no. the time off work or, or if they've still had a previous bad experience. So it's actually it's finding out what those barriers are to those ladies to, you know, so how can we get them screened? And as you quite rightly say, John, if you're suddenly changing your screening intervals from five to 10 years, if you potentially miss that window of opportunity, then actually you could see the complete opposite, which is actually your rates of cervical cancer increasing, which is certainly what we wouldn't want. Exactly. And, and just from a, these barriers that we're talking about, uh, I know Check Cancer for uh, as an organization, Julian, you've got different testing kits around the HPV? Yeah, so we sort of, uh, I mean, we're, 
we've been doing this for a long time now and you know we have a very very successful way of uh, like allowing women to take autonomy for their cervical screening um there's a little bit of I won't say bitterness amongst us, but we, you know, we shouted about this very loudly when we introduced it as early as 2014 and 2015. And we were very much seen as the enemy that we were trying to do something that was sort of against the grain. And, it, you know, it, it was sort of very, it's very reassuring now that people are beginning to listen to what we've got to offer. So if I just go back a little bit. So if a woman turns up for her screening test today, who's had previous smear tests, she will go through what she thinks is exactly the same test that she's had before. So she will have a speculum examination, some cells will be taken from the cervix, they will be put into a small bottle and they will be sent away to the, um, to the uh, laboratory to look at them. So the lady on the receiving end of that test thinks this is exactly the same test that I've had for all the years I've been going. What they don't realize is that actually their testing is then completely different. So now what we do is we look for the presence of the HPV virus, first of all, that causes practically all cervical cancers. Only if that virus is present, do you then go on to look at the cells under the microscope from the neck of the womb. So if you're HP, high risk HPV negative, your sample is thrown away and nothing else is done about it. Now the NHS can't make, can't, took a decision that we couldn't risk to have a two-stage process simply because of the number of people who weren't attending for tests. But actually what we worked out at Check for Cancer was the main barrier to having your screening was that invasive bit of the testing first of all. So could we test you for HPV as a lady or brilliantly can you test yourself in a much nicer way to potentially avoid needing the very invasive examination? So our test is a very robust test, which is used in many parts um, all over the world, where a woman self samples herself for HPV. It's extremely easy. It is a very, very small um, a sort of a spatula that is smaller than a pipe cleaner. The lady inserts it into her vagina. She just needs to get it somewhere near the top of the vagina. We use a very, very sensitive, what's called an mRNA amplification test. So it picks up tiny parts of the virus if it's present, amplifies it so the lady does the test in the privacy and the comfort and the dignity of her own home sends it off and that tells her whether she's hpv positive or not if she's hpv negative then she just has her screening test again whenever she chooses to do that three five years whatever she wants if however the virus is there she then goes on to have a traditional smear test to take some cells off the cervix so then that gives every woman the opportunity to break down those barriers you yeah. do not need to take time off work. You do not need to book an appointment. If you've had a bad experience previously with somebody else doing it, you're doing it yourself. If you have, heaven forbid, uh, been the victim of sexual violence, you can avoid somebody else looking at your tail end. You can do the test yourself. If you are in a marginalized group, be that ethnic, be that um, sexual orientation, you don't have to divulge that information to people. You can do the test privately. So we have what we think is an absolutely fabulous way of trying to engage more women to take autonomy for the screening themselves. Yeah, absolutely. Hmm. And yeah, um, and we're fully supportive.
yeah we're fully supportive of this approach i mean uh the evidence suggests that it is just as good at, at picking up abnormalities that need further intent uh attendant than, than the traditional methods uh and uh, of no surprise uh, uh the overwhelming majority of women prefer to do this and that's amongst women that currently attend for for um <clears throat> cervical screening and those that don't so you know it is a a real uh i think uh opportunity there to as you say increase access uh, uh which is so critical to the whole point point of, you know from our point of view from the cervical screening point of view the the actual smear test looking at the cells from the cervix is actually redundant so i've given a lot of um, support to governments who are setting up cervical screening programs to begin with who haven't got them and they don't even look at cells on the cervix now so you have a high-risk hpv test and you then effectively go straight to colposcopy <laughs> we only have this historical looking at cells under the microscope because when the cervical screening program started we didn't know that hpv was the cause of the disease whereas yeah. if you were building a cervical screening program from scratch you wouldn't even have looking at the cells under the cervix um, as part of it. As I said, it's mm. used all over the world. It's used in places which have a difficult geography. Uh, um, Swedish, Scandic countries use it. Australia use it. It's, uh, you know, it's 21st century <clears throat> screen. But the most important thing is, is it gives the woman the individual autonomy to, you know, to break down those barriers. And, you know, that's the most, you know, that's the mm. most important thing. And I'm not saying you should do, you know, our test is, but, you know, if you choose to go the traditional NHS cervical screening program, if you're able to do that, fabulous. It will do you, it will do you proud. It will yeah. look after you fabulously. So all I'm interested in from a gynecologist point of view is ladies getting screened. I don't mind how you get screened as long as you do it either by the NHS or by new different systems. But please, 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 for me, it's about just giving women the autonomy and the strength to be able to be screened, however that may be. Yeah. And I think anything that helps people get to that screening, I've always gone myself. Um, you know, they're not the most pleasant five, 10 minutes that you're ever going to spend in that week. Um, but yeah, as absolutely. you said, they're not uncomfortable. You get on with them. But, you know, having the option to think that there might be something we can do at home. I wonder imagine if you could do that. Though. Imagine if you could do that on a Friday night at home without any, you wouldn't need to book an appointment. You don't need to go and see anybody. You do it in the comfort and privacy of your own yeah. home, done and dusted. Why would you, what, mm. why would you do it the other way? And I think... Sure post the pandemic in a very funny way we've all become used to self-testing now um Absolutely. i know it's a very different element by the way but you know i yeah. wonder whether that will encourage people wow yeah. I, well i mean if i get i mean obviously yes of course it will but but since you mentioned the pandemic, I mean, going back to the original uh, uh, figures that Julian said about uh, the the attendance of screening uh, uh, pre-pandemic has already fallen to levels which you know are quite worrying, and and uh, I'm sure Julian would perhaps give some insight on the yeah, on the so effects of the pandemic very, on the screening. You know, there's some very very uh, I'm I'm going to call them nasty statistics because they are nasty statistics. There's there's been a huge drop off in screening, not just in cervix, in all forms of cancer. And this is one of the things which has been kept a little bit quiet, which is, you know, the incidence of cancer in the UK has dropped by 50 percent in the last 12 months. 
as it hasn't dropped by 50% in the past 12 months. We just haven't identified 50% of it that we normally identify because people haven't been able to go for the appropriate test because of the pandemic. So there will be, you know, we, we've almost robbed Peter to pay Paul. And, um, you know, there's a very significant cost in terms of ongoing changes in medical care because of the pandemic. And cancer care, unfortunately, um, is one of those. We will see a spike. We, you know, we will see a spike in the incidence of cervical cancer because a lot of women have not been able to get their screening done, as a lot of women haven't been able to get, you know, breast screening, bowel screening, you know, all of the other screening programs that we've got. So sadly, this will be one of the medical legacies of the pandemic. I'm afraid. Mm, okay, it's an interesting. I mean, we're nearly out of time, so. Is there anything else from either of you that you would just like to add to the listeners to encourage them to do go for or look at what their options are? I think just as I said before, you know, please, you know, if you go for cervical screening, you will not die from cervical cancer almost exclusively as simple as that you know you know we have a robust vaccination program we have a robust screening program whether you choose the nhs whether you choose our fantastic new way of doing it there is the opportunity for all women to have a appropriate screening we also allow women we do we uh, we subtype the hpv so if they hadn't had the vaccine when they were younger women they can those women can then make an individual decision whether they think vaccination is relevant to them at their particular um, stage in life they can take specialist advice on that but really it's just about please 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 get screened however that may be uh, i mean you know this is all about protecting women and looking after women nothing yeah. more nothing less yeah, I mean, it, it's amazing that we have that this opportunity to intervene in a cancer in this way. So yeah, it's just get involved and, 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 you know, get the information and make your choices. But yeah. Well, thank you both for joining me today. It's been really, really interesting. And uh, I think, you know, what all I can hear is you need to get screened. However you get screened, whether that's your employer, by you personally or via the NHS, just take responsibility and get yourself screened. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Thank you both. Um, for anyone listening, if you want any further information about AXA, Aston Lark EB or Check for Cancer, then please feel free to give me a call direct. My number is 0207 543 2818. Thanks very much, everyone. Team, thank you very much. Have a thank lovely you. weekend. And thank you very much for your time today. Much appreciated. Likewise. Yes, thank you very much. Thank you. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye. Thank you for listening. If you'd like to find out more about Aston Lark employee benefits, please visit astonlark.com. 